Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. chapter 19 uh, familiar story to some but let's just march back through here and uh, ask the Lord to touch our hearts his word is eternal anointed amen and I've asked the Lord to just touch my lips my mind my heart and to touch yours as well that we might receive the word of the Lord the book of first Kings chapter 19 talks about a man uh, 18 and 19 talks about a, a prophet by the name of Elijah Elijah met 450 prophets of Baal, false prophets on Mount Carmel. He said, let the God that answers by fire be God. And a tremendous altar was presented, sacrifice, and the Lord swept, swept down in chapter 18 and consumed the sacrifice and the fire, and the water, and everything there was to do with that. And uh, when, when the slaughter of the prophets, false prophets came, there was the, a woman by the name of Jezebel that said to Elijah, I am going to kill you. And with those words, with that threat, Elijah finds himself on the run. Amen. And so I want to pick up here in chapter 19 and verse 9. The Bible says of Elijah, and he came thither unto, the, unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great, strong, a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire a still small voice and it was so when Elijah heard it it sounds like we're repeating ourselves here now and it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entering of the cave and behold there was a voice that came unto him and said what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. We've got a rhetorical conversation going on. Amen. I want to, with the help of the Lord, I just want to speak tonight from this thought, draw me nearer, draw me nearer. Amen. Lord, I love you today, and I thank you for the precious gift of the Holy Ghost, and I thank you for the opportunity tonight, God, to be able to share your word with this wonderful congregation, and I ask you to let the power of this word touch every heart that's in this house. 
Oh God, we need you tonight more than we've ever needed you before. We need your presence to just stand in this place. And we ask you tonight, God, to complete the work that you have started in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. Oh, it's a privilege to be in church, I'll tell you that. Amen. I believe the desire to know the will of God and to understand God's will for our lives is probably, most likely, the most important thing in anyone's life that is seriously serving the Lord. To know the will of God, to know the plan of God, I think it is a very, a very common desire to want to make sure that we kind of reset the compass every day, order my steps in your word, I want to be in your will. I want to be doing what you would have me to do. We have the mindset often that if the Lord would just speak, if he would just say something, that we would be much better off. We desire in, in our own unique way for the Lord to just sort of step center, step center sage of our lives and give us some real answers and perhaps... Um, not only to life's issues or solutions to our problems, but answers to the questions that we may face along the way. Amen. I know that God certainly can speak and does speak. Amen. I, I have people that I trust that have heard the voice of the Lord audibly speak. And, uh, but by and large, that's not just what the Lord does. He doesn't just sit down and have lunch with us. Amen? That's, that's not how it works day to day. I think it's a safe thing to say that it's, in, it's often frustrating to not understand or not know what God is up to. Amen. You, we see that we know the, the Lord is working. We have an assurance of that. There are several things in our life perhaps that confirm that God is doing something, but we just don't know what he's going to do or what he's doing. And sometimes that can be a very frustrating thing. We can often even frustrate ourselves trying to figure out what the Lord would have for us to do. Not just what God is doing in our life, but what does God want me to do? I think Job perhaps captures the essence of this feeling most precisely, and I want us to consider his words this evening in Job chapter 9 and verse 32. The Bible says Job in his plight, his dilemma says, For he is not a man as am I, as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. He's not a man that I could just sit down at a table with and we could come to some form of agreement. Verse number 33 says, neither is there a daysman betwixt us that may lay his hand upon us both. Now, I, I don't think Job is necessarily trying to wax eloquent, although I think these are eloquent words for such a serious situation. And so Job said, he's not a man like me. He's not a human like me that I should answer him and that we could come together, that we could just sit down and we could just work this out. I believe I'm speaking to people tonight that on more than one occasion in our lives have had to sit down and just work through some issues that may have been with a friend or family or whatever that we could just sit down. There was something about the privilege of being able to sit down 
and get our hands on a conversation and get a clear understanding that we could all walk away with a solution to the problem. But Job said it's not just that we can't sit down face to face and have this conversation, but Job says there's not even a daysman between us or betwixt us that may lay his hand on both, on both of us. He said if there was just this daysman, then I would speak and not fear him. But he said in, in verse, I think it's verse 34 or 35, he said, but it is not so with me. If we just had the ability to sit down or if we just had this daysman betwixt us, then I could speak without fear, but it is not so. That is just not the case. A daysman, if you were to look that word up, you'll find that it is a referee or a mediator or for the lack of a better word, an interpreter. He said someone to lay his hand on each of us. He wasn't talking about necessarily the laying on of hands by prayer, but somebody, someone that could serve as a conduit that could just bring this situation together, a mediator. In our language today, Job was saying, because God is not speaking clearly to me, that I am afraid that I may be misinterpreting some things that he's saying. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like that more than once, more than a few times, I have found myself in this situation. That I feel like if the Lord would just be a little more clear, then I would know that I am walking in his way. And Job is saying, I don't want to, I don't want to risk misinterpreting something that the Lord is saying. And so that's why it's best not to just receive some word of the Lord and make a life-altering decision if you don't really know the whole picture. We should never base our life just on one song or one sermon or things of that nature. And Job is saying, if I could just somehow sit down, then I would have this clear understanding. I wish someone could hear from God and this, just tell me exactly what to do. Amen. I, I know I'm not alone tonight. When, I, when I've just said many times, Lord, if I just knew, I would do it. If, if I just knew, if I just knew what to do. Amen. Uh, my, when I was coming along, I, I, I don't know necessarily my mother or my father would say it, but I just remember hearing this, that if, if we said we were bored or anything of that nature, they said, well, you need to go stand on your head and stack BBs. <laughs> and uh, so it seemed like it would be a little time-consuming kind of a proposition, but there have been many times I felt that desperate, Lord, if that's what you wanted me to do is stand on my head and stack BBs, just say it. Just, I need somebody that can clarify that, a clarifying voice. And, and we think if God would just shout that surely we would understand that, or if he would just come down and, and speak to me face to face, surely I would be able to connect those dots and comprehend it and bring clarity to the situation. If we are honest with ourselves, and certainly if we're honest with others, we find ourselves in that situation many times in life. Not just one time, not just one thing. We desire to hear God. We just want to hear his voice speak. I, I, I believe tonight that I am also not alone when I tell you that we came to this service desiring to hear the word of the Lord speak in our heart. Amen. We desire sometimes God to hear God in various ways. And often because of our nature and the way we are wired, we are looking for God in the shout or the dance or in the noise. But sometimes, as is our scripture setting, and oftentimes in our own life, God is not found there, but he is found in the whisper. 
Elijah found himself sitting in a cave much like us from time to time feeling sorry for himself. It's interesting to me to note that in this story that, that, uh, that Elijah was at this place. He was, if we were to say, having a pity party. It's interesting to just note human nature all throughout human history that we are not far removed from that. Amen, that, it, that we can all have these times in our life. It's somewhat shocking that, that not only is Elijah doing this, he's such a strong personality man and he is so boisterous and has so many notable miracles in his own ministry. You would think that if anybody is standing on their feet, if you would think anybody is standing secure, it would be this man, Elijah, at any point in his life. But certainly, but certainly, when we find him on the heels of this tremendous miracle, God sends fire from heaven, destroys the prophets of Baal. Amen. I, I think it is impossible, uh, or that it is possible rather, that, that it was the end of this long battle, a long spiritual battle, a long emotional battle, a long physical battle, that here we find Elijah in a struggle, a real struggle. Many, many years ago, I preached a message uh, that I entitled something like this, The Danger of Steel Waters. The Danger of Steel Waters. Because the heart of that message, at least, dealt with the fact that many times people survive the storm because they're busy rowing. Amen. They're busy. They're, they're, they're busy in the, in the fight of that. It's, it's not the, those raging waters that take people out. And, and if I can tell you that I am many, many, many years removed from preaching that message, and I will only tell you that that message has become more and more underlined in my life because I've watched so many people survive dangerous and treacherous storms because they were so focused on surviving so focused on getting through, so focused on keeping their feet gathered under them until it was after the fact, after the winds subsided, after the waves seemed to cease that the danger of the still water became very apparent. And when the wind dies down, when everything kind of normalizes, many people have crashed and burned in the aftermath of what they were walking through. Amen. I believe that at the very bottom of, of his broken world, God sent an angel. God sent an angel to Elijah. That angel appears, that angel feeds him, and that angel sends him on a 40-day journey to Mount Horeb. And, it, and it's here that we find this lonely prophet coming to the surface of our text tonight. It's here that God is about to teach Elijah a very, very important lesson. Elijah had no problem understanding God and what God was up to and what God was doing when the fire was falling. Elijah was not confused when the earth was shaken. Elijah was not at all ill at ease when the wind was blowing and when the water was being drank up out of the trench that was dug around that sacrifice. But the one place that Elijah never learned, had never learned before to listen to the voice of God was, or never learned to hear the voice of God was that still small and that quiet place in him. And so God was teaching him a lesson. And maybe tonight we can lean our heart into this story and learn it again ourselves. That God is not always going to yell. 
And God is not always going to send fire. And God is not always going to shake the earth. Amen. God is not always going to move mountains in that regard. Sometimes it's going to take us in a lonely place. Sometimes it may take us in a wilderness place, in a desert place, in a cave. Amen. But I'm going to tell you that God is not doing any of those things to pick on us. God is saying, I want to draw closer to you. Amen. Draw me nearer if we could only understand what God was up to in the midst of the storm. I believe the undercurrent of everything we've ever faced in our life was God saying, I want to draw you a little bit closer to me. Nothing, nothing in the world, and I don't mean this to be humorous, but it is a little bit because it's true, but nothing in the world draws human focus more than whispering. You could be in a crowded room and just lean over to whisper something to somebody and it's almost like the whole room just gets quiet because people are interested in a whisper because it implies, it implies something important is being exchanged. It implies that, that something very personal is, is being exchanged and so nothing draws human focus more than whispering and so God's whispers, when God whispers it, it means something in my spirit that I'm moving closer to him. When the Lord whispers, I listen and I find the answer. When God whispers, I have to be still. I have to find myself closer to God. We are uh, inundated, and I've mentioned this a lot lately, but it, it's really the truth, and uh, I, I think I'm reminded of it almost on a daily basis. But we live in a society that is just inundated with noise, with clutter, with so much confusion. We live in an hour where the world is just moving at such warp speed. And please don't take this wrong. But sometimes if you ever just said, I want to just step off for a minute. <laughs> just let me get off this merry-go-round just for a second. To clear my mind, to clear my head. On and on and on. We live in an age of information. Not We live in an age of a lot of information, but not a lot of communication. Even though, even though we have greater means of communication. But we are certainly in an information age. It has been said that a weekday edition, a weekday edition of the New York Times contains more information than the average person was likely to come across in a lifetime in the 17th century. One daily newspaper, the New York Times, would have more information than a person in the 17th century would come across in a lifetime. That's amazing, isn't it? You can Google almost anything in the world. Just find an answer. Most of your smartphones have some sort of voice-activated helper, some sort of assistant, whether that is uh, Siri or Alexis or, or whatever the case may be. You've got at, at just the push of a button or just the mention of something, somebody can just find all of this stuff for you. And, and, and the problem is, is that we, are, we don't just get an answer. Sometimes we're just looking for an answer. We, we get inundated with answers. We don't get just a little bit of information, but we get knocked over with information. So just for kicks this afternoon... I did a Google search on the term information age. And I got 5 billion, 100 million results. And that took almost three-fourths of a second. And so 
what we do is we just generally settle for whatever's on top. Right? Because we just get hit with so much information. You're just bowled over. The answers are just on and on. And I realize the further you get away from that, the more irrelevant they become. But nevertheless, it is the world that we live in. It's a very noisy, a very busy, a very confusing hour. Computer stats that uh, when we think about the first modern computer that was built in 1944, it it took up more space than a modern-day semi-tractor trailer. It weighed more than... I'm not sure why they use this as an example, but it weighed more than 17 Chevrolet Camaros. It consumed 144,000 watts of electricity. It could, it, it could do no more, however, than 5,000 basic operations per second. And so this massive machine that gobbled up all of this electricity and took up all of this space was so very limited in what it could do. But if you compare that to today... The average smartphone has 120,000 times the ability that NASA at large possessed when it sent its first rocket to the moon. This. Anybody want to ride? And the power to send you to the moon right here, 120,000 times right here in, the, in our hand. And so we're just inundated, inundated. And so this leaves us with a very, very important question. Where has all of this technology brought us and what has and how has it shaped our thinking? Amen. We are used to having what we want when we want it. We're used to receiving any information that we need or a piece of information that we need when we need it. Transactions that used to take weeks, days, perhaps even weeks because you had to mail documents back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, now can be done in mere moments. Recently, I believe it was Sister Amanda that talked about how technology has has shaped our ability to shop with Amazon Prime and others like that delivering packages all over the world in just a couple of days. Or I believe she mentioned Amazon now delivering packages within an hour. And we enjoy those modern conveniences and they are ever more convenient. How many people take advantage of that? Certainly. Amen. You don't have to be ashamed of that. But I'm asking, how is this affecting our spiritual thinking? Because I'm telling you that on Amazon Prime every now and then, it just happens you can get it overnight. It says two days, but... You just order it this afternoon and, and, and somebody comes pulling you into your driveway and you're thinking, man, it's a day early. It's a day early and we rejoice in that and that's a wonderful thing. And you're so scared I'm preaching against Amazon Prime. Nobody's even wanting to smile or anything. I'm, I'm really going somewhere. I promise you with this. But I'm, my question is how does this affect us spiritually, our spiritual mindset? Amen. We, we, if we're not careful, we can get into that mindset that when we're so accustomed to gratifying flesh in just a matter of a moment, in just a stroke of a pen or with just the click of a mouse, that we can have the answer. We can get what we need. And if it's not here, we can get it overnight. It could be on the other side of the world and we can have it on our doorstep tomorrow. And yet, now we come into this clunky prayer room where it seems that our prayers are just soaked into the fabric of the carpet when we leave. And, 
And we're trying to get words that have eternal importance and consequences. And yet it seems as though heaven is like brass and it is silent. And we are perpetually locked into this silent, one, this one-sided conversation with God. If we aren't careful, we would want to treat God like the internet and just type in our question through a short prayer and get that answer right away. But you see, sometimes God just doesn't move immediately. He doesn't answer just because we ask. He doesn't give it just because we need it in that specific moment. And so that's why David said in the 46th Psalm in verse 10 that he said, be still. The Lord says, be still and know that I am God. There are times that we are just going to have to walk and trust him in silence. We're going to have to walk miles and days and and, and perhaps weeks and months of our lives without having a real clear and definitive answer from the Lord but I want to know tonight I want the Lord rather to know that we are willing to walk with him even in those silent seasons of our lives and be faithful to him Paul said something very interesting in his appeal to the, to the church of Thessalonica very very curious passage of scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 11 Paul said and that ye should study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Think about that. Study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we have commanded you. Paul said, if you're going to be quiet, you're going to have to try to figure out how to be quiet. Amen. I, I, I know many of us face these things. When you kneel in prayer, that's when you can think of everything. When you sit down to read your Bible, that's when you can remember those all important things that just must be done. Please don't leave me alone in these comments. And so to that I say it is a fight sometimes just to be quiet. I think I understand what he's saying. Study to be quiet. You've got to figure out how to turn all of these things off. And, and, and it's a very, very difficult thing. And it's only growing more and more difficult in a world of connectivity. It is only growing more and more difficult to study to be quiet. We are lost in the bustle of life. Amen. And often because of that, we cannot hear what God is trying to say. But I will tell you today that God still speaks and man still listens. And I am encouraged by that. Amen. I am encouraged by that. And so I want us to consider just a few things about this man, Elijah, in our text. The Bible speaks of us, of him in this text, in our text tonight, that he made a cave, he made a cave his home and there he waited for the Lord. He made some sort of retreat, if you please, in order to solve the problems of life that he was facing at the moment and certainly to get closer to God. He was what I think we would call, and I use this word very, very carefully, but I do believe that, that Elijah was a little more beyond discouraged. I believe that Elijah was depressed. Amen. I know it not, it's not a popular portion of the story, but it, it's in the word of God for a reason. When the Lord finally came because Elijah was so despondent and so out of it that he just said, Lord, take my life. I'm done. I, I, want, I just want to get off of this train for a little while. The angel comes along and 
and we, we covered that just a moment ago, and then he now is in the cave, and the word of the Lord comes to speak to him. And it wasn't a rebuke. It was a word to instruct him, but he asked him a question. He said, what are, what are you doing here? That's a sobering question. What are you, what are you doing here? Elijah's replied, written, really didn't answer the question. Not really. Because Elijah only told the Lord what the Lord already knew. He said, I've experienced many trials in my life. Lord, you just wouldn't believe how hot the fire is right now. He was careful to point out how faithful he had been to the Lord. That statement seems a little bit conflicting, doesn't it? Because if he was a faithful servant, why was he in the cave hiding and what was he doing here and there? Why wasn't he in his appointed place of ministry? But nevertheless, in this reply, Elijah reveals not only his pride, but his self-pity. And, and we've all been guilty because we've all been there. He also kind of exaggerated the size of his opposition because he only gave it from his perspective. He made it look as though everybody has turned against you, Lord. Whew, if it wasn't for me. <laughs> When really what was going on is just one woman had threatened him. Amen. Now, I understand who this woman was and the power and the influence that she had. I don't want to make her out as just one soul and lone voice because she had the power to command people at her word. But, but it was really just Jezebel that was after him, which was nothing compared to all the things that he had already faced in his life. And he said, I only am left and he makes us look as though that he was just indispensable to God. I am the only thing you have left, God. But I want to tell everybody here tonight, including the man with the mic, that no servant of God is indispensable. Amen. I say, Lord, amen, I need you. It's not that you need me. I need you. I need you. Amen. The Bible says then that God commanded him to stand and into the mount of the cave or to the, to the opening of the cave. And it's here that we read this all-important phrase, and behold, the Lord passed by. And behold, the Lord passed by. That sounds so, so much like the experience that Moses had in Exodus 33. Amen. When the Lord, when, the, when Moses said, I want to see you, and the Lord said, No man can see me in the face and live, but I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. And he put his hand over the face of Moses and he passed by him. And when he passed by him, he did speak something into the heart and the spirit of Moses because it was the hinder parts of God that Moses saw, and it wasn't his backside. But it was, it was that, that way that God used to give Moses the ability to write the first five books of the Bible. God opened the eyes of Moses and let him see from Genesis until that moment. Amen. So that he could see the hinder part, the historical part of God. I'm going to tell you that when God passes by, when God passes by, I'm going to tell you tonight on this sweet Wednesday night when the Spirit of the Lord is in this house and he is passing by, please, whatever you do, don't fold your arms and have an unconcerned and a disconnected look. Amen. Please, whatever you do, don't keep your eye on the timepiece and wonder how long it's going to be before this service ends. When the Lord passes by, he can speak something into our spirit. It may not be in the earthquake. It may not be in the wind and it may not be in the fire. When the Lord starts moving, we need to be quiet and listen to what thus saith the Lord. Amen. 
Elijah needed to be renewed. He needed a fresh vision of the power and the glory of God. So first the Lord calls the the wind to pass. The wind so strong according to the scripture that it broke the rocks and it tore mountains. But no divine message came to him from that. Then the Lord used an earthquake and shook that mountain, but nothing from God came out of that. And then the Lord brought fire, but it too gave Elijah no message. And so what is God up to? What are you trying to do, Lord? I mean, what's the meaning behind all these frightening and and horrifying object lessons? Amen, I believe perhaps that those reasons could be many and we could stand and talk about many of them tonight. But one thing could be said, God was reminding Elijah that everything in nature is obedient to me. The first few phrases, or the first few verses, rather, of the 148th Psalm. Amen. It is, in, it is what an incredibly powerful passage of Scripture, Psalms 148. The very several first few verses as you begin, amen, the Lord is just commanding nature to praise Him. Amen. Let the mountains praise Him. Let the earth praise Him. Amen. God was reminding, that Elijah, reminding Elijah that everything in nature has to be obedient to me. He could command all of nature to step outside of its design and praise him. And so if Elijah wanted to resign from his divine calling, if Elijah wanted to hang up his hat, if Elijah wanted to throw it all in, he was just reminding him, I'll find somebody to take your place. Amen. I'll find somebody to lift your voice. I'm not trying to sound offensive tonight, but I'm going to tell you this evening that if I won't praise him, he's got rocks that'll praise him. That if I won't magnify his name, I'll tell you he's got a bird in the morning at daylight that'll get on the edge of a limb and it'll swing a seat, sing a sweet praise unto him. I don't want that rock to take my place. <laughs> But oh God, let me, let me, let me, let me tune my heart and my spirit to what your voice is saying. Praise your name. Amen. As it turned out, Elijah didn't resign, but he was indeed, and in fact, given the privilege of the calling of his successor, of his successor, a man that we affectionately know as Elisha. Elijah was privileged to spend time with him, work with him, mold, mend, and shape him for the call of God that was upon his life before he himself was raptured. The wind, the earthquake, the fire were all just a means that the Lord used to manifest himself to mankind. Theologians call these, theologians refer to these different manifestations or these demonstrations as theophanies. Amen, that means to manifest or to appear, a theophany of the Lord. These signs were just the manifestations of God. Amen. God was trying to get his attention. He was not trying to spoil him with fire and wind and earthquake. God was trying to reveal himself so that he could speak. So that he could speak. Amen. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. I do not want to ever, ever drift away from demonstrative worship. I I appreciate clapping hands. I appreciate lifted voices. But I don't want to become so addicted to the noise that I don't hear the voice of God. Amen. I would never want to substitute, pardon me, but I would never want to substitute spit and speed for substance. Say something. Don't just get up and make a lot of noise. 
but let's do something. After this dramatic display of power, there was a still small voice, and that is my point here this evening, this still small voice. It could also be translated a gentle whisper. When the prophet heard that voice, he stepped out of the cave. He covered his face with his mantle, the Bible says. It's reminiscent again of Moses with his hand, the hand of God covering his face in that raw presence of the Lord. In the mighty power and the noise of all of these previous exhibitions of the Lord didn't move this man of God. But when he heard that still small voice, he recognized that. He recognized that. And it was here the Lord spoke to him. And that's where we get the second round of the same conversation. Elijah was, God was saying to Elijah, you've called fire from heaven. You've had prophets of Baal slain and you've prayed down rain. You've done many mighty, wonderful things. But you see, when it comes time to really hear from me, you might just need to be quiet. Amen. There is a drawing of the Lord. I really believe there is a drawing of the Lord in this hour. We're in an uphill battle because so many things are trying to drown out the very voice of God in our lives. Amen. Let's stand. Amen. Praise God. I know there is a time and a place for the wind. There is certainly a time and a place for the earthquake and the fire. And I don't think God was trying to condemn the, the courageous ministry of Elijah. I don't believe that at all. But I, was, I believe that God was reminding Elijah that I move in many ways. I move in many ways. God's word comes down sometimes like a gentle shower and it just kind of refreshes, strengthens, it cleanses. Amen. So I pray today, God, that you would help us to be used of you. Amen. Would you join us in this old chorus? Let's sing it. In the name of the Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.